This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I am super excited for today's guest. We've got Doug Langford. He's one part of the Langford Brothers. These guys own JDL Homes Incorporated. And uh, we've had Jeff, the uh, other brother, on the program about a year ago or so, talking about Pete Bog in Vancouver. That's right. And now we've got Doug on the show talking about the step code in BC, the five-step code in BC, and eventually getting to net zero in building. This is such an interesting conversation because we are moving very quickly towards net zero or passive house homes in Vancouver. If you drive down First Ave right now in East Van, there's advertisements for passive house townhomes. I think if you don't know much about that, what that means, what this looks like, this is a great conversation for you. And even if you know what this means, I feel like A, the nitty gritty of how this is going to play out is great, but it's also kind of a conversation that on a broader scale kind of is, is about steps we have to make as basically the province burns right now in terms of environmental steps while managing the fact that we have to build more housing here. Like the, exactly. it's just, we're in a situation where, you know, we're talking about pinholes in a house, you know, and we'll get to exactly what that means. But airtight homes being the future, whereas other people are living in tents. It's kind of this weird moment we're in, but uh, this is a fantastic conversation. With affordability and, and new building code and the potential of adding on costs and everything else, right? I think it's interesting, like a clear sign that passive house 
is being accepted more widely is that we've dropped Hoss. Yes. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I feel like when we first had someone come on to talk about Passive House, it was Passive it was, Hoss. It, it was a, yeah, it was a, I think it was a Danish concept at that yeah, point. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's, it's so fantastic to see this technology uh, moving on. This is a really interesting conversation. And, and don't turn this episode off if you're not interested in building or construction, because the implications of this type of building is huge. It, it, it affects you as an investor, as a homeowner, as someone who lives in the city. It goes right across the board. Well, yeah. And I mean, down to the most practical level in January for new builds, January, 2022, no more natural gas. Right. I, I, this is something that, uh, you know, just think about the implications of that. And if new builds don't have natural gas, what does this look like moving forward for existing homes? I mean, there's so much to think about and not to mention how this impacts real estate market analyses moving forward, where you have certain homes. Or the val- just the value of your home in general, right? right certain it- homes built to these standards yep. and what that means and what that looks like and how much we're putting in terms of valuation for passive houses or net zero homes. And in 10 years, will owning a post-war bungalow be the equivalent of driving a 1978 Bronco? Find or, out. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Right. I was going to say shoveling coal into the train. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah exactly. That, that's or the basically Bronco. the equivalent they both of the 78 Bronco. Yeah, okay. Well, let, before we get to our conversation with Doug, and again, this is a fantastic conversation, so stay tuned. But I noticed you're kind of the tin man today. You seem to be, your shoulders are up at your ears. You seem to be really stiff. You can't look behind your back and it has nothing to do with you just being really jacked. That, yeah. You know what? I'm in a bad state. I thought I was getting, uh, I was over half a mile from Kokomo there for about a three weeks. Yep. Uh, felt like I was doing a lot of exercise. It you felt, were relaxed. It felt good, but maybe this is just an age thing. So I threw out my neck yeah. yesterday, last night. It's clear. Yeah. Having trouble walking. And it's kind of a strange situation. So ever since we've been talking about Yellowstone, which has been the last six months, right. I've went down a Kevin Costner rabbit hole. I feel like we've talked on this show about Field of Dreams. Sure. <laughs> yep. We've, we've talked about Field of Dreams. We haven't covered the bodyguard yet, but I know that that's the soundtrack that plays in your car. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I haven't actually seen the bodyguard. That, right. It came out in a moment of my life where it wasn't super, it didn't look super promising. <laughs> Still doesn't. <laughs> I was going to say. Hasn't aged well. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it ever looks super promising. Haven't seen that one. I did watch McFarland USA, which I watched basically because I'm. Well, this is the one you watched last I night. I watched it last night with my daughter. I feel like a 10 year old girl and my tastes, there's not a lot where we can meet in the middle it's and mostly music, but sports, <laughs> sports, yeah, yeah. but movies, not so we much. Have no trouble around our pop soundtracks, yeah. but, uh, but movies, there's not a lot. We landed on McFarland USA in large part because Kevin Costner was the coach okay. of a long distance running club just over the Mexican so it's border like a in feel the U S it's so a feel good, it's sports, a feel good sports. It's your Hoosiers. It's your, um, it's, it's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's the, I was actually impressed. My daughter is astute enough in the first track meet that, you know, the downtrodden kids who have no business being there against the rich kids. Right. Mighty uh, Ducks. Yeah. I, I said to her, I bet they're going to win. And she said, they never win the first track meet. Like she was like, so you got familiar with the narrative. She said, yeah. She's like, get your arc straight in terms of the storyline. Right. <laughs> but uh, the long and short of this is I can't move my neck properly because at the state, I'm not, no spoilers, but at the state championship, at the end of the movie, I got so excited 
on the couch that I threw out my neck. It's a cheering injury is what it is. I kind of, like it, I got, you, I went, I got the intensity of my kind of look at my daughter to high, like the high five moment <laughs> throughout my neck, which was I was thinking, it, was it like a, I just want to, just so I can visualize this. Was it like you noticed after the fact or as you were cheering, did you just sprawl out into like a, like a, like needing to get stretchered out of your what, living room. What, what, no, what happened was, I think it was a I'm weird moment where I got so, it wasn't like a jump up and cheer. It was like a tense up my body and yeah. I felt a pop. Yeah. Okay. So I'm heavily, uh, is- heavily medicated now. I've also like in the past, and I don't know yeah. if we ever talked about this, but you know, like drying my hair, I've put out my back. Like this is, uh, I think I'm in a bad maybe, state. I know. And it, it's crazy that specifically your body, <laughs> as you reach your early forties, is to the point that, that you're getting injured as a spectator of sports. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's a crazy, that's a crazy body type. Um, but also the fact though, that like, I actually joking aside, I actually have, uh, there's something going on. And I think it's desk work. I think it's a lot of computer work, but there's something in my upper back that, yeah, washing my hair. <laughs> like it's almost like a guitar string breaks. And then yeah. for the next three, three days, I'm like, I can barely rotate. I'm kind of in that state now doing anything other than sitting in front of a computer helps. Yeah. I, but, well, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess I wonder if this is more common than we think, but, uh, we should have asked Doug about it, but we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Doug's, Doug's there with us age-wise. He, 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 but I, I think feel he's like more physical. I though. was going to say, I feel like the nature of what those guys do, not that he's a guy on the tools, but I think just he's probably not sitting at a desk the way, uh, the, way the rest of us are. But anyway, it's a depressing state of affairs <laughs> is what it is. <laughs> but Matt, in other news, though, just, just before we get to our conversation with Doug also, a note on the rental market in Vancouver, because we've talked about kind of the way the rental market has ebbed and flowed throughout COVID and pre-COVID. And now we seem to be in a point where it's red hot. You know what? I was lucky enough to co-host the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast this week, and I mentioned it to Corey, and I think we we talked about this in the the intro of that show with Jordan McDonald, which, by the way, fantastic episode. And also, just side note, we're going to have Jordan McDonald on the show in coming months, but man, check that one out. That will not disappoint. Yeah, he's, he's a fantastic, fantastic guest and developer in the city. But when I got back from my vacation, I had to rent my suite. The interesting thing is I rented it in August of last year. And then, you know, the tenants are, are moving out of Vancouver. So they were here for one year. So it kind of gives a kind of the two moments in COVID and the difference. And it is night and day, the rental market right now. I was saying to you, I used Zumper, which is right. related with, I think they bought PadMapper. So Zumper, PadMapper, it's like one company to put your you're listing so on you that. load it onto Zumper. You then. load it onto Zumper. Does Zumper take it to Craigslist? And no, to the, no, no, it's just there. But my understanding is, and I would say my experience is the more qualified applicants seem to come from Zumper now. And uh, property manager Close Road would would agree with that. I put it on Craigslist as well. I know because I could chart it on Zumper. I had it on from Monday or Tuesday last week till Sunday when I had it rented. And on Zumper, I had 70 people reach out, which is more than 10 a day. I showed it from two to six on Friday, every 10 minutes 
for four hours. That's how busy it was. And I think in the end, I got higher rent than last year and seven or eight applications. Incredible. After the one time, you know, and granted it was four hours, so it was like a little painful, but it was just unbelievable. And this is for my suite. My understanding is closer to the university is crazier, like closer to UBC and presumably SFU sure. with the students coming back, sure. and international students coming back. I think what this means for, of course, the real estate market writ large. We're in the kind of doldrums of summer here. Vacancy rates will be plummeting. Rents will be going up. Investors will be coming back into the market in a big way is kind of the obvious conclusion. But yeah. uh, night and day. And and inventory seems incredibly low right now. August seems to be kind of taking a bit of a breath. But it's hard to imagine we're not going to see a busy spring, uh, fall, I should say. I'm, I'm quite confident in that yeah, at this point. It, it's, it seems hard to believe that we won't. So uh, just a little bit of insight into the market. Um, Matt, we are sponsored this week by Oakland Realty. That's right. Oakland Realty. This is our brokerage, best real estate brokerage in the city, bar none. If you are a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, looking for a little bit more energy, great resources, great back end. Oakland Realty is a brokerage for you. Head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That is oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, which is reward enough, but you also get a huge incentive for that VRP 2020. Absolutely, Matt. And without further ado, why don't we cut to our interview with Doug Langford? This one will not disappoint. I, this is a great episode. One of my one of my favorites in a long time. Such great guys, the Langford bros. Yeah, yeah. Scalina bros with the Langford bros. It's like the dream team. Yeah, let's get it. Okay, so we're here with Doug Langford from JDL Homes Incorporated. Doug is the president at JDL Homes. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much for taking the time, Doug. Last time, some people will remember we had your brother Jeff on to talk about right. Pete Bog in Vancouver, but great to have you on the show. Nice yeah. to have another sibling business on the show, by is the it, way. Isn't it fantastic? <laughs> we, we, we could talk about the ins and outs of that later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, first off, Doug, can you maybe start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah. I, uh, As you said, my brother and I own JDL Homes, uh, Inc. We're a Vancouver-centric uh, builder and major home renovator. We've been in business almost 20 years now. Primarily in the city of Vancouver, uh, we work in other outlying areas, uh, building new houses, duplexes, laneway homes, and we also do major renovation work. Right. Is it fair to say that you've been busier during COVID? Uh, yes and no. The industry has been busy. Where we're finding a bit of a bottleneck is at the municipalities in processing building permits. Right. So that's kind of thrown a bit of a wrench in in ours and a lot of my colleagues' schedules. I got to say, for as much as Vancouver has been, you know, criticized for their permit process, it feels like they were just getting things to a level of being expedited and then COVID hit. You're right. Yeah. I mean, Vancouver, uh, you know, they're a different animal compared to other municipalities, as we know, but they also do a lot of things really, really well. And they are at the forefront of the initiatives of, of building better houses and, you know, reaching for better efficiencies and so on. But when COVID hit and everybody was, is now uh, still working from home, that's um, just the backlog has been enormous. And I think that everybody was taken by surprise, including the lumber industry, at just how much work was going to happen there. It just, everybody was surprised by it. So, of course, there's a huge list. There's, they're trying to get through it, but it's just going to take a few months. 
You know, thinking about lumber prices, backlog at the city, COVID, all these things that have kind of factored into challenges. I'm just wondering, what is, what is the, in your mind, in building a home in Vancouver, what is the biggest challenge for you guys as home builders? Like, what is the main kind of pain point? Yeah, it's building a house and, and renovating, but building a house especially has become way more complex from when we first started doing this as a a business. And right now, you know, obviously erratic high lumber prices, which look like they're starting to calm down a little bit, has been a major point. Dealing with municipalities and building codes and subsequent municipal bylaws can be a real issue to try and navigate. Also, building technologies are changing rapidly. So adjusting to that, pivoting to that, finding uh, skilled labor is just seems to be a, a bigger challenge every year. So it can be a daunting process for us and then for our clientele and even more daunting because they're trying to, to understand all this. So, and then COVID has obviously just put a monkey wrench in, in our, well, everybody's business, but especially ours. Right. Can we talk a little bit about changing technology? And I, of course, we'd love to talk about the push to get to net zero and, and what that looks like in terms of home building here in Vancouver you know, writ large, but just all the the changes, how, how you guys navigate and learn, like it seems like it's an entirely different business now than it would have been, say, if you were building homes in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, my role in the company is primarily customer facing. So if somebody calls up, I'm usually going to meet that person and we start to talk about the construction and building process. And one of the challenges for me is to talk about the changes coming down the road of us heading toward building to a net zero standard and how that's starting to happen now in small incremental changes in step code. But the technology and the advances that we already have now and what are are about to happen, that's a tough one for me to explain to people, especially if they live in an older house. And I'll explain to them, well, you know, using your gas boiler and having your in-floor heat is something that just isn't going to be needed or work anymore in the equation of building a a net zero house. And that's a really tough one for people to understand. Oh, I live in this drafty old cold house and I just, I just can't understand it. So the changes there in building a, either a a net zero house or a passive house is overwhelming. And most of the public just isn't aware of what that technology is yet. So. And so when we're talking about a net zero house, can we talk, so houses by 2032 have to be built Net zero, if I understand correctly. Yeah. So the the provincial government has laid out what they call the step code, and there's five steps to it. And they're allowing municipalities to adopt the step code at various levels that they feel fit. And that allows the municipalities and us the in the building sector time to adapt to learning how to build our structures to a net zero or a net zero ready standard. So that means we built it so that It's ready to be net zero. All you have to do is add uh, solar panels or some other form of generating um, energy. And that's going to be mandated by 2032. So the city of Vancouver has, you know, they have their own charter. And the city of West Van and North Van are talking about going right to step five rather quickly, where Burnaby is already, you know, they're at step one. So each municipality is a little bit different, which is also adding to the confusion too. So the conversation I have with you (laughs) depends on what municipality you're living in. Too. Right. right. How does that shape, like when, when you're meeting with a client in say a municipality at step one, but you're typically building stuff at maybe step three, does that influence how you approach the build 
throughout the various municipalities? Yeah, to a certain degree. The thing about the municipalities, like Burnaby, for I'll give you an example, we built a step code five net zero ready house there, just and finished it uh, just a few months ago. And even though the city had just mandated step code one, our conversation with the homeowners was, look, you know, you want to build an energy efficient house. We know that by 2032, this is going to be mandated as standard. Why don't we build it that standard now? You know, what effects are they going to have on your value of your property? And, you know, just living in a house like that is so much better than we're living in a standard house. So that homeowner, homeowner agreed. And we, we built, uh, funny though, the, the inspectors come on site and well, what's this and what's that? And so we, had, <laughs> had to, we actually had to coach the building inspectors that tended to you know what we were doing. So why are these walls so thick? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> why is this so efficient? Yeah. yeah. Uh, can we talk just, just to be absolutely clear? I know people have listening to this podcast have likely heard about, passive houses. Yeah. Can we just talk about the changes? What is net zero a passive house? What exactly does that mean? Yep. And what does it look like? I know offline we were talking about, you know, natural gas by next year not being allowed in in new builds, which for me seems, you know, I'm just thinking about cooking alone is like, yeah. oh my God. But can you talk a little bit sure. about uh, net zero, how those houses change and what it, what the, it looks like? Yeah. So passive house is a, is like a net zero, net zero ready house. It has a bit of more of a prescriptive sort of model set out of how you achieve a, a very high level efficiency level. And that is, it boils down to a few fundamental things for, for both step code five, net zero, net zero ready and passive house. And that's a really thick insulation, really robust windows and doors, think triple pane, a continuous air barrier that wraps around the whole house, uh, which is something that we could, when we dissect this, you know, having that continuous air barrier, so the house is airtight, mechanical ventilation, like a, a high efficiency HRV heat recovery ventilator and a heating and cooling system that has an efficiency level that works in that equation and a high efficiency heat pump can work in both scenarios. We built a passive house in Vancouver two years ago and we did not need a heating source at all other than two electric in-floor heat mats, one at the front of the house, one at the back, approximately three feet by four feet. Think new heat, people put them in their bathrooms. That was the only thing that we needed to heat the house. So Crazy. moving forward, and this is the tough one for me to explain to people, it's going to be way more challenging for us to cool your house than it is to heat it. Forget about heating it because just living in there, putting the stove on, having adults running, you know, a family of four or five, six yeah. running around, that's going to heat your house. So if I understand, and this is, again, I think I'm one of these people. So you have these heating mats in two areas of a house that's 2,500 square feet or, or however large it is. Yeah. I'm up in a bedroom, and I, I'm uncomfortable with the temperature in the bedroom. You're saying it's never going to be that I'm feeling cold in that bedroom. It's going to be the opposite. Like in January, if you're feeling cold in that bedroom, is it just, or you just yeah, won't? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, it depends on the location of the bedroom. So if the bedroom is, say, in the north corner as opposed to the south corner house, when you're getting that southern right. sun and the solar heat gain coefficient of your windows isn't managed, you're going to get overheated. So 
when we're buying windows now, that solar heat gain coefficient is a real important number that we can either eliminate the sun coming through and heating that room, or we can allow it. And we need experts to help us with that, you know, making that, that calculation. So heat recovery ventilation system brings in fresh air from the outside and then an exhaust stale air out of the house. And that does a cycle through the house about every hour to hour and a half. And that actually helps to keep the air more of a, of a constant, but you're also getting that fresh air in because we're building the house so airtight and in the winter, you're not cracking open, but we still need to have really good proper ventilation for comfort and safety and, and, and everything else in the house. Right. So an HRV is, has been code in the city of Vancouver for a number of years. And, but that's an, one of the main pieces of technology that are in the equation of either a, a passive house or a, or a step code five a net zero house. So one of the big things about building airtight that we've seen in Vancouver, the municipality that seems to be kind of there, yeah, it sounds like there are a few few steps uh, into this process already mm-hmm. in terms of their building code, is that these buildings are so airtight that now you're starting to see people with issues with mold and potentially without correct ventilation where the building is holding in all the all the moisture. That's it, right. How does it work with an H, like does an HRV, is it running all the time? And how elaborate are these systems? Like how have you seen people actually functioning and living in these homes? Yeah, the that's a really good point about the the air tightness. It can trap moisture inside. And we got to be able to handle that. And that's the beauty of a the HRV or heat recovery ventilator. And it's actually a very simplistic system. And it it has a filtration system in there that um, allows air to come through these fins. Think a radiator. So the air comes through the fins that it's sucking fresh air from the outside. At the same time, it's exhausting stale air from the house. But that the air doesn't touch each other, but they do touch the fins, these thousands of these little fins in the filter. And so the warm air that's in your house leaving is actually warming the incoming air as it's coming in from outside to about 75 to 80, sometimes even 85, 90% efficiency, depending on the type of unit you buy. So that works really well, but you're also exchanging the air. So from a health and safety for your family, that's getting stale air out. That's getting air that contains that moisture. It's, you know, you have it coming out of your bathrooms. We've even built houses where we integrate the bath fan into the HRV as well. So interesting. Yeah. So you don't have that loud bath fan going in, you know, you have one fan that runs the whole HRV and then runs the bath bathroom fans of the whole house. The nice thing about that system is that we're not, we're not cutting as many holes or protrusions through the house and that all important air barrier. So the lower amount of protrusions you can cut through the whole, the house, the better. So the HRV combined with the bath fans works. And actually I was just thinking about this because I was reading something the other day about, um, about HRV systems also having the, the potential to like for germs and thinking about like right now with COVID, Apparently, they can actually filter the air for a lot of the germs that are mm-hmm. kind of moving around within the house. So, I, yeah, uh, <laughs> again, that's a, a great topic, especially right now in British Columbia. But the you can get some very sophisticated filters on right. those. So when it's bringing in that, it's filtering that smoke. And same with if you're using a heat pump for heating and cooling, you can also get pretty sophisticated with the filters on those systems as well. So, and that's the other one of my points to people about. The challenge will be cooling your house. Again, you're not going to be opening the windows at this time of year with, with right. the smoke everywhere, right? And the heat and security and so on. So, well, I guess a couple of things that I want to unpack from there. One is how do we get a house airtight? Like what is the air barrier that wraps around 
the structure? Um, there's a few different types of air. You've probably all drove by a construction site and saw Tyvek. You yep. know, we we have used Tyvek successfully in making a house superbly airtight. Uh, there's other companies out there that will make air barriers, but having when we we start the process of constructing a house, you know, having how we're going to do that air barrier is a really important part of that puzzle. We have to, you know, when we're building a a passive house, for instance, the air exchange, the blower door test we have to do when we're done that house is, is it has to be airtight. We have to blow to a 0.60 uh, at 50 pascals. And that's basically, if you took about the size of a tennis ball, the aggregate of all the pinholes in that entire house's air barrier would come up to about the size of a tennis ball. So that, so when we talk about yeah. protrusions to that air, air barrier, you have to be very careful. And with a net zero house, it's about a one. And so, you know, we, we won't pass unless we, we hit that target. So super important. What happens if you don't hit that target? I do, that's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> we, so we have a fail safe. So we, before we put insulation in the house, we do a blower door test at that point. And before we do the the insulation and, and drywall, we'll often sometimes put insulation or, or spray foam areas spray where foam, yeah. in areas or going around with a caulking gun and and really good quality tapes and seal up the house and then do the air test then and go, okay, you know what, we're good. Now we can drywall, you know, and close up the house because it's a lot easier to go around and take care of those little pinholes in the house at that stage. Right. Than than at the end when everything's done. And and just not to get too specific, but are you still using the venting for like the roofs and the decks? Like you're just basically have like um, some kind of, a, you're using airflow for like any kind of roof space or deck yeah, space. Your, your attic space, if you're doing a conventional, you know, trusses with an attic, yeah, you know, so the, the air barrier would come up the side of the house and then over the top plates of the wall, then the Tyvek or whatever house wrap you're using then has to tie in to the to the plastic that you put, you know, you've seen that we call it poly and then do the six mil poly. You have to tape that tight to there. And then that goes along the ceiling and your insulation's above that. Unless you use other technologies like structurally insulated panels and so on, or we putting insulation on the outside of a house, um, you know, then you have a, a conditioned attic. That's another topic, right. the SIPS panel. But uh, we've had great success just doing that. But again, you have to map that out. There has to be a plan in place. If we can... Talk to the homeowners about maybe vaulting ceilings and making that seal really tight and then dropping the ceiling to allow the trades to run fire suppression systems and light pot lights and so on. We're not cutting into that air barrier. And that, you know, we just have to drop it a few inches. And that's a really good strategy when we're trying to preserve the air barrier. And I'm just thinking here, so just one more practical question about or curiosity about gas Mm -hmm. um and then but secondly just to be clear by 2032 net zero means does it mean exactly net zero like you're talking about solar panels like so this is a house that is basically self-sufficient or yeah so right now the province is uh saying that by 2032 we need to build all new housing to a net zero ready standard i think eventually they'll enforce net zero but net zero ready means that we built the house to an energy efficiency standard that by adding, say, solar panels, the solar panels are going to generate enough energy in the few months that we can generate power with a solar panel that feeds the grid 
for the few months in the summer, and then we're pulling from the grid in the winter, that that zeroes out at the end of a calendar year. Mm -hmm. And so to reach that, like you can't just build, you know, a giant array of solar panels and call your house net zero. So it has to be a really balanced approach with energy efficiency and how we do the basement, the walls, uh, the roof, the windows, the doors, mechanical systems, the HRV, right. and the heat pump for heating and cooling. And then the, the more practical question for those of us who like gas fireplaces, cook with gas, uh, is it just, are we just electric as the future? Uh, yeah. Time to retire your yeah. huge so, truck, your V8, <laughs> Matt. Yeah. <laughs> so the most gas appliances when we're building to uh, passive house or net zero or net zero ready standard, they aren't efficient enough to work in the calculations. So we have an energy modeler that calculates that out. And we and sometimes we can play with the numbers a little bit. Hey, you know what? We want, we're going to go to a really super high standard with the windows, but yet we're going to go a little bit less on the wall, our value, and, and we bounce it around. But most of the time, we can't make gas appliances work. Subsequently, with countries, municipalities around the world and hitting Paris Accord agreements, we're going to have to get off gas as heating our houses as well. So the city of Vancouver is the first municipality locally as of January 1st, 2022, when we're going to build a house, we can no longer use a gas appliance to heat the house or heat the hot water. We, they're still allowing gas for your stove. And I'm not sure about a fireplace, but I think your, your stove, you might be okay for now. Eventually, though, I think municipalities are just going to outright ban gas for you know, maybe taking a, a bit of a step back, one thing that strikes me here in this discussion is a, you know, especially the talk about, you know, sealing the house and, and the tennis ball, how kind of intricate this is. It seems like we're, we kind of have two issues going on. The two major issues in my mind in Vancouver, but in other cities and, and for the globe is of course that, you know, half the province is burning down right now. We've kind of mm -hmm. climate change is, is the forefront. This all makes tons of sense. At the same time, you know, we have tent cities <laughs> or, or people in Strathcona Park for most of the last year that can't afford a roof. And we're talking about, you know, pinholes in a house here. What does this mean for timelines in terms of actually building houses and, and costs associated with building houses? Because obviously affordability is a huge issue. Can you speak a little bit about those two things? I can, yeah. The technology's there. The cost, uh, depending on who you talk to and how we built it, that if we took, we took an apples-to-apples -apples comparison of two houses with all the same finishing levels, so everything is identical. So house A I did is a, is a regular code-built house that you would see right now, and house B, we've taken the time with the air barrier, we've put triple-pane windows in, we've added insulation or made the walls thicker or used other technology to get it to a net zero ready standard, you could be looking at a sort of 15 to 20% uptick in the cost of that. As far as construction timeline, not overall adding to the timeline, as long as we know exactly what you're doing from the outset. Again, for us, we built a net zero ready, we built passive house. So we kind of know the steps to, to get there and we can advise people ahead of time. If your builder hasn't been there yet, there's going to be a bit of a learning curve. There's going to be a learning curve for everybody. But to further the point about, you know, the extra cost of building that, I, you know, I don't think the planet has a choice. And I think that homeowners, when, when we're, you know, we just have to pivot. When you take a house and we dissect it and all the hundred things that go in there, uh, you know, do you need that $30,000 worth of marble? 
right? Do you need the $100,000 appliance package? Do you, you know, does, does your floor have to be, you know, some exotic wood? Can, so we just have to pivot and, and just say, hey, you know, let's just do a little bit less of that and a little bit more of that. Maybe build one less bathroom in the house. That might be pay for most of it. The other thing too is when we spend more money on the, on the envelope and the air barrier and the windows, uh, we're not spending 40, 50, 60,000 on a really elaborate gas fired boiler and in floor heat system because that right. you don't need it. It's a new point. And then I guess carrying costs are just much less with the fast. Yeah. So with the, the carrying costs, again, if it zeros, if it's a, if it's a net zero ready, you don't have any carrying, you don't have any energy costs. Yes. You're going to be paying for your hydro bill in the winter, but come summer when the solar panels are engaged and kicking back to the grid, you're zeroing out at the end of the year and you don't have a gas bill. So, you know, sounds incredible. Well, it's great. It's just, it's, we got to go through that change. It, you can't just put a heat pump in your windy old house right now. You're going to have an, an exorbitant right. uh, electrical bill. So again, I go back to the whole b- balanced approach to when we're you know, either doing a major retrofit to a house or we're building new. You can't just do one and not the rest because you'll just, you'll make that, you buy that super efficient heat pump. Well, your heat's just going to go out the windows and, sure. you know, the, out the holes in the air barrier, et cetera. Can we, can we talk about that a little bit about renovations? Like, is it possible, I guess, and this is kind of an asking for a friend because uh, that draft, the old house sounds familiar. Yeah. Working towards this piecemeal in an, in an older house or, or older structure, I guess. What does that look like? Is it possible? What, what should some people who are thinking, oh, I might get new windows, you know, does it make sense to get triple pane on a 1940s house? Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's a really tricky, difficult question. And it really depends on the nature of the house. And you're right. If we put triple pane windows in an old 1940s house that doesn't have any wall insulation, it's, <laughs> Wait, you're, you're, you know what I mean? It's probably because that happens. Your, your insulation is movie posters and yeah, newspapers, exactly, but yeah. you got triple glazed windows. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think if you had... It depends on the nature of the renovation too. If you're doing a full gut sort of renovation, it's a little easier to get there. But I think every little thing helps. You know, if you can blow in insulation in your attic where most of the heat goes up anyway, and if you if you can possibly get some insulation in the walls and upgrade your windows because the technology in windows now is just fantastic. And the intangibles of having triple pane windows in, if you live on a busy street, for say, is not only is it energy efficient, but you don't hear the noise. And right. You know, right. Th- those those things are fantastic i would have guessed the envelope first kind of model too with like the the insulation and the thicker walls like that must prevent noise from the outside like these houses must be really quiet now oh yeah you use structurally insulated panels so they're basically wall panels with osb or plywood sandwiched with thick insulation you know we've built a few houses of those and our customers comment about how super quiet they are so the downside to that though is with the super quiet with the super thick walls is all of a sudden the noise that's generated in the house stays in the house. So the owners that live in the passive house, they built, they're like, oh, there was this aggravating little noise coming from the motor of the fridge and we could just hear it all the way upstairs <laughs> because the old leaky houses allowed the, the air. So you have to think about that too. So and that's where, you know, fabrics or window coverings or a piece of car helps to absorb that noise. Right. So, right. Cause, um, yeah. 
you hear everything now. There's two things I wanted to talk about. One is um, before we we went live here, we were kind of talking about, and I had kind of suggested maybe that what this makes me think about is is kind of the automobile industry and kind of where we're moving towards the electric car and buying a brand new gas car right now might have some implications for resale in the next few years or or even for driving in the city of Vancouver. In thinking about like new technology in the real estate market, an example I often think about is the 2010 Olympics brought in the new buildings with the really, really advanced kind of geothermal mm-hmm. grids. And since they they did that, the challenge has been getting a lot of home purchasers, I think, to look at that technology and say, I want to take a gamble on it because what they know is they know maybe electric baseboard heating, they know kind of the more conventional types of multifamily buildings throughout. And what the concern is, is that it's expensive technology. There's fewer people that can fix and repair that type of product. So it actually, in a lot of ways, I think it has maybe even deterred people from purchasing like the newer kind of technology in in the homes. But you made a good point. You suggested that in in 10 years right now, or, or even in five years right now, having a new build that doesn't kind of hit that step five might actually put you at a disadvantage in the resale market. You're absolutely correct. When people talk to me about building a new house, I talk about the step code and I said, this is where we need to be. If we're going to spend the money to build a house now, or sometimes two houses, a house and laneway, should we be building should we look at building to this standard now? It, it just, you're going to have to give up a few things though. So if you go from your gas car to your electric car, you're going to have to give up a few things. You're going to have to deal with range anxiety. You're going to have to think about the infrastructure plugging your car in. And, and what does that look like when you're taking a trip, like a road trip? You're going to have to plan out where you stop to plug the car in. So not too dissimilar from buying into a house like that. The thing is that the technology that we're actually using right now with the HRV, a heat pump, and then just extra thick walls and windows and doors. It all exists. Sorry. It all exists. And it's not super complicated. Right. You know, it's, it's, you know, for me, the biggest challenge for people, hey, you know, getting, they keep thinking about that, how cold they're going to be. And then, and that's a, that's the single biggest thing for me to try and talk to people. Now you're not going to, you're not, don't worry about that anymore. It's about yeah. how we're, how we're going to cool the house. That's going to be the, because you're going to trap that heat in, but it's a learning curve like everything. And I think that the more we can have podcasts like this and get this information out to people, I think the better. But I think that eventually how we value our houses will probably change in the future. So if you're looking at two houses side by side and one's built to a net zero, one isn't, and they're both the same. Well, one comes with hydro bills and Fortis bills, right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, yeah. yeah. And then also just the cost to upgrade it because you're saying right now to build... It's 15 to 20% more. We're doing an apples to apples comparison. Two identical houses, identical finishes, so on. So what I propose to people is like, okay, well, let's, you know, pivot a little bit here. Let's, you know, maybe sacrifice here, but you're going to gain in other areas. Right. And again, the intangibles of living in an airtight house like that is fantastic. Right. And the the comfort, the safety for your family, the fact you're not hearing the ambulances and the stuff of we're living in the city. And, you know, we we built a a house in South Vancouver using the structurally insulated panels and the homeowners were sitting at home on TV watching the news. I said there's a huge windstorm out, almost hurricane level. What the heck are they talking about? (laughs) So they went over to the front door, opened the door and it almost blew the door right off their hands. (laughs) But they didn't even feel it because we built a, you know, thick walls, right? you know, 
airtight and so on. So, well, I, I had mentioned there's two things. That was kind of the first one. The second one was the aesthetic of of the homes. And most of the kind of passive houses that I've kind of driven by, it seems like a lot of people, maybe this is just more choice. A lot of people seem to be doing the modernist kind of look where it seems like the windows tend to be smaller. There seems to be more kind of exterior walls. Yeah. Um, do you have to sacrifice this aesthetic with the modern with the with the modern builds? And can you still do like beautiful craftsman homes? Um, you know, with this kind of building style? You it's a lot easier to make a house energy efficient by making it a square or a rectangular box. No doubt. And that's why you'll see a lot of passive houses that that comes into play with the architecture. We can still build craftsman style. It's just how we plant on the decks and how the gables are made. You know, uh, instead of having these cantilevered, you know, floor systems that go out where it just all the energy goes out there, we have to just rethink how we build those decks. So instead of having cantilevered decks, the decks are planted onto the house. So we get that air barrier under, you know, behind it, and then we build that deck onto it. So there's ways around it. I don't think you have to sacrifice too much, but I will say that it's a heck of a lot easier to get to that place if we make the architecture more simplistic and, and a little easier. It's right. a little easier for us to do that. Even, you know, in windows, the more windows you have, you know, the more energy you're going to lose because the R value of a window still pales in comparison to the R value of a really thick wall. So we are going to have to sacrifice the amount of windows or glazing we have at some point. I actually went to a talk where the guy said we could get to the point where instead of having windows, we have TVs on the wall that show you what's going on outside and you just look at that is your window, but it's a TV screen. I don't know if we'll get that drastic. But. <laughs> or we can do like the developer display suite and just have a view kind of printed yeah. into it. Yeah. 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 Every, every home has a view. <laughs> yeah. The only the only other thing I'm thinking of, and Matt, maybe you have other questions, but the, the biggest thing is is how maybe BC fares in to the rest of Canada. Like are other provinces looking at the BC building code and scratching their head and going, what are these hippies up to? You know what? I think that uh, that's a really good question. Actually, it, we can pride ourselves at BC as being ahead of the curve and other jurisdictions in Canada look to us and see what we're doing here. So we should be proud of that. I think that BC, all, we're lucky to live in British Columbia and especially here in Vancouver, where we're in a climate zone that, you know, where heating our houses isn't as big a concern as if we were living in northern Saskatchewan. We also live in a province where most of our power is generated by hydroelectricity. So if we have primarily hydro that's, you know, powering, uh, cooling our houses and charging our cars, and uh, we have, you know, rooftops with solar panels that are feeding back to the grid, that's a, that's a good thing. And we're lucky here. Yeah, I was actually, that was kind of exactly my final question was Vancouver in relation or BC in relation to the rest of the, the country. But just out of curiosity, how much harder is it to build a net zero house? Uh, and I guess this is potentially outside your wheelhouse, but in, in a place where you're dealing with minus 20, minus 25, like, is it, is it, is it feasible in the Winnipeg's of the world? Yeah, like a hundred percent. I think um, the um, passive house was actually born out of the R2000 program, which came out of the prairies. So I think we can't, we can't lose sight of the fact that we, we, you know, we, we've been doing research in Canada back to the seventies in the middle, in the prairies, where it's some of the harshest 
weather on the planet. Right. And so absolutely, it's, 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 you just have to size the system accordingly. And, and this is where building science and building envelope science uh, becomes paramount for mm-hmm. us as builders to, to understand. Because the, the climate and how we handle the moisture here is completely different than, say, northern Alberta. Right. right? Or where your skin's Winnipeg, cracking. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so completely, you know, you know we, have to, we have to have an understanding of that. Well, maybe we'll leave it there, but Doug, we've got this segment called the five wire, five quick questions that we end the show with. Can you stick around for that? Sure. Okay. So question number one is what is your favorite bar or restaurant in Vancouver? Oh man. They only get tougher from Post here. COVID's a little <laughs> bit harder. To... Yeah. Obviously I haven't been to a bar or restaurant in so many. Oh, where do you door dash from? Where do I door dash? Well, I'm actually going to uh, Tuto on Friday. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah that's, that's a, that's a, a good, good spot. Food. Yeah, I'm meeting up with some uh, some pals of mine that we haven't seen each other in a long time. So we're going to... I think it's actually it. a fairly prominent developer that might have started that restaurant. Uh, could possibly be, so. yeah. Yelltown. Name okay. names. No, no. <laughs> Favorite band or song? All time. All time. All time. Favorite band? Fleetwood Mac. Oh, that's a good one. We haven't had, Fleet have had Fleetwood Mac. What is and all songs? <laughs> <laughs> what is one book that you'd recommend to anyone listening? Pillars of the Earth. Oh, awesome right book. on. Yeah, Pillars of the Earth. Yeah. What? What is the? I think they actually did a show, and I'm trying to remember the author right now for the life of me. I can't. But is but it like what time? I'm I'm kind of into historical fiction. Oh, but. you'll love it. Pillars of the Earth. It's all about building giant cathedrals and. Um, so it's set, in, you know, call it 17th century oh, in wow. the UK. Awesome book. It's one of those books that is super thick. And it's one of, for me, it was one of those books that I just couldn't put it down, but I forced myself to put it down because I wanted yeah. the book to last, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Right. So, Best kind. Yeah. Um, one piece of advice you would give your 18-year-old self? Hmm. Buy that car about five years later. <laughs> I'd give my 42-year-old self the same advice. <laughs> um, uh, and last but not least, what is something that you've bought in the last year or so for under $1,500 that's had a positive impact on your life? I bought a really cool rain shell Oh, jacket. Nice. Way less than $1,500. Yeah. But it's from uh, a company in California, and they actually make hunting clothes, oddly enough. But So you have to order from them online. What's but the, the name tech, of it? It's called Kuyu. K-U-I-U. Kuyu. So they make this high-end sort of hunting gear for people that are hiking into the mountains and hiking, you know, hunting, fishing, and so on. But they're, you can't just go buy their stuff off the rack. So you take a little bit of a risk buying something on. But I, did, I do a lot of research on just about everything I do. And so I, I, they had a sale, which was great. So I bought this item and I put it on and it's like the best thing I've ever bought. Wow. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. You know, it's funny. Cause I like my first call it 12 to 15 years in Vancouver, I didn't have appropriate rain gear. That's which, a must in Vancouver. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy. Right. And yeah. I mean, now I've kind of, I'm, I'm way more outfitted, 
but uh, maybe over the top, like when I show up to, show up to meetings. Like, are you going like, hunter? Are you going? <laughs> this guy? Yeah, the, where are you also? It's the camouflage. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I've been aggressive now, but it, it, yeah. it is essential here. Oh, yeah. It's not a camo jacket. They have, no, uh, they no. have a solid color. <laughs> Just to be clear. Yeah, yeah. so I'm not going to sling you a 12 gauge. You can see your torso. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, Excellent. Well, well, hey, Doug, how can people find out more about what you're, what you're up to? And then, of course, JDL Homes Incorporated. Yeah, so you can just check out our work and lots of information on our website, actually. So you go to jdlhomesvancouver.com and then you can reach out to Jeff or I uh, through our website. easy and be happy to talk further about this. Yeah, well, thanks so much for your time, Doug. Always a pleasure having you guys back on and we'll have to have you back on in the future, I'm sure. There seems like there's ample to talk about oh, yeah. in the world of building in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, we so. could dissect everything we talked about into a, into a show. It's, it's, it's complex and there's a lot to it. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for your time. All right. My pleasure. So there you have folks, our discussion with Doug Langford from JDL Homes. Really enjoyed that conversation with Doug, Matt. And I should say it's back in the studio is where we are. Oh, yeah. It's. I was going to say it's good to be back. You Well, you hardly left. It's good to be back for me, back in the saddle. Uh, and I love that conversation because it's kind of Mary's the larger picture with that on the ground, what does this look like? Right. You know, what kind of stove am I going to have in 10 years? And that's the thing. And and people think you're, you're just, you know, you're making a joke when you say back in the saddle, but you actually sit on a saddle in the studio <laughs> on account of uh, your Kevin Costner addiction right this now is, and Yellowstone. Yeah. You, you've moved everything I've, to a saddle I've also, in your life. I'm also coaching a Little League baseball team now. <laughs> exactly. No, but what else do we have for the week before we cut? Uh, there's a few things. One, like we mentioned in the intro, if you didn't hear Jordan McDonald on the Vancouver Commercial oh. Real Estate Podcast, check him out. Huge we, fans of we've Jordan been, McDonald. We've been going after Jordan for a long time. The way he talks about East Vancouver, the passion involved, it's a beautiful thing. Check that out for sure. You also want to head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com where all things real estate related live. That's VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. You can sign up for things like the Live Wire. Yes. This is our weekly mailer with all things real estate, deal of the month, stats before anyone else, VIP pre-sale projects. You want to be on this list. There's no reason not to be on this list. We also have private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free at your fingertips. And who doesn't want sold prices? Just check us out, check it out at uh, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. You can sign up for your free account. Yeah, it's definitely worth doing. Definitely worth doing. And Matt, uh, I, I want to say one more thing before we cut for the day. We had our last week's episode with Jeff Poe. Tons right. of fantastic feedback on that episode. And I want to also mention, we've had a lot of people reach out on two accounts. One is people living that Kokomo life, which uh, we always Hashtag love to Kokomo see. Kokomo life, yeah. Um, so that's great seeing that on Instagram and people sending us photos because it seems like a lot of people, despite the fires and despite uh, the air quality, a lot of people still enjoying our beautiful province. And then the second thing I want to mention is that we've had a lot of people reach out who are going to be coming on to discuss their journey uh, through real estate investing and trying to find financial freedom. So if you liked last week's episode with Jeff Poe, there's a lot more coming zero to Kokomo. So zero look forward to, to that. Absolutely. If you want to talk about that or anything else, 
778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Well, have a great week, guys. Stay safe. Stay cool. Stay cool. Yeah, we're back in a heat wave. Good Lord. What's going on this year? This is crazy. Hopefully it's a one-off. Anyway, have a good week. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs>